You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Indians. I am your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. Isn't free agency fun this year? Can we just start out by saying that? The fact that it's like breakneck, that we had a bunch of moves yesterday and that we have a bunch of moves today and because of baseball and how huge the rosters are because, you know, yes, technically football has a larger roster, but baseball teams go down in the minors and teams often have like upwards of 200 plus players on their, you know, that they have control of. So it just allows for a lot more um, transactions. And we're seeing that this year. Oh boy. Are we ever, we have former Indians news. We have more catcher news. Uh, this is becoming the official catching news podcast. We have more starting pitching news. Uh, it's, it just nonstop, which is kind of awesome. Uh, except for the Indians who haven't done anything. Uh, <laughs> they never do anything. They always wait in the weeds. There are worse things to do than to be the team who's waiting to pounce on, uh, uh, on value as it, uh, trends downward, um, in terms of cost. This free agent market has had absolutely no chill, which means the Indians are 100% not going to be a part of it. Um, as we see teams kind of race out to get things, though, um, every time one of these, you know, every time a pitcher signs, an Indians pitcher gains more value. So we'll have to, to keep that in mind, too. Basically, the Indians are in a position where they have to wait. I'm not going to disparage them for taking their time here. They weren't going to be in on anyone who signed. Um, they have a bad TV contract. Um, which is partially their own fault, but you know they had a, their own network and everything, and they signed that away to Fox and got more of a lump sum than a yearly amount, and that ended up with a very weak TV contract compared to others. They have a fan base that really does not support the team in person. Um, I'm not going to sit here and get into that whole ugly, sticky situation. I've written several articles about it in the past, but uh, it just gets down to it. You can't debate the fact that no one goes to these Indians games, and it's living in milwaukee now it's always people whenever i go to another city and people talk about uh the indians um this always comes up because other fan bases just can't understand why the indians can't sell out they're like but they've been so good for so many years in a row and they have good young talent and we go when our teams are bad why can't the indians why doesn't anyone go and i'm like i don't know um there's a toxic situation between fan base and team um, the team has made some poor choices over the years, but the fan base is also very unforgiving. Uh, there's basically a lot of blame to go around, but it's always interesting, especially now that I live in Milwaukee. Um, it comes up a lot when people find out I'm an Indians fan, find out I do an Indians podcast that I write about baseball. One of the first things they talk about when, with the Indians is, why don't people go to games there? Um, you know, if they catch a game, it's it's noticeable that the Indians just don't have as many people in attendance. and It's, it's become a hot-button issue at points on... Um, you know, in areas other than Cleveland as well. So it's it always seems to come up. So, yeah, it's it's not ideal. But when you combine the bad TV deal with a indifferent fan base, um, it, it makes it hard to compete. Um, I mean, like I said, there are fantastic fans. Everyone who's listening to this podcast is a dyed-in-the-wool fan, more than likely someone who's, you know, watching the games, going to games, doing things like that. But at the same time, I can even use this podcast for the example where, like, um, a lot of my (laughs) – we've had a lot of podcasts drop off from the MLB network side of things on Locked On. It's not been the cleanest start. 
Like I know the, it was the Tigers guy who uh, who brought me on, and I don't think he is currently running that site anymore. And uh, really good dude, um, Chris over there. Or am I? See, I'm going to confuse Roger and you know, but uh, you know, I know the guy. I've talked to them multiple times. A good guy. Um, his numbers are higher than mine. Like <laughs> the Indians as a whole. Like this, the podcast. Like I'm very thankful for everyone who's out there, everyone who's listening and who's uh who's taking part but I, i'm still we have about a half full uh half full in terms of the uh the teams that are open i'd say we're probably about 70 percent. that's not fair 70 percent of the mlb teams currently have someone broadcasting and i'm kind of uh in terms of average listenership in the same place the cleveland indians are in terms of attendance which shows me that i just think that cleveland you know people get mad when you say it's not a baseball town but it's not. It's a football town, and that's always going to be the you know what people are talking about and paying attention to most. And you know, when the Indians had that phenomenal run, that was we all got spoiled by that '90s Indians. There was no football in town. The Cavs were at their worst, and the Indians had a team that honestly, at points, had three or four Hall of Famers all at once on it. They had one of the ten best offensive teams ever put together. Um, it was a magical moment. And the Indians had a solid streak that they should have had, you know, going from a, you've got the brand new stadium, you've got just an unbelievable amount of talent, and you have no competition there. So, again, this isn't to say there are not fantastic fans in Cleveland. There are. There are fantastic fans in Cleveland. There are passionate, knowledgeable fans. But we do see, like, in terms of what they talk about on the radio, it's not that they dislike the Indians and the local radio, it's what uh, draws viewership is football. That's the same thing with, with uh, you know, even in terms of uh, what I write for 24-7, you can't physically navigate to the page I write on. Uh, you have to know to go to Scouting Baseball to find it because you cannot navigate from the front page on 24-7 to any baseball thing. It is all NBA, NFL, college sports. There's no navigation from the front page to baseball that I have ever found. So that's just kind of a baseball problem in general. And... You know, the second half of the show, we'll talk a little bit more about Mike Trout and why baseball really has to figure out a way to market um, their most uh, talented player of my lifetime. But let's uh, now I'll get off my little soapbox again. Thank you all. I love you who are listening. Someone went and reviewed on Stitcher. Uh, I should I got to give him a shout out at some point. Uh, it's probably going to happen next week just because there's a lot to talk about. And I, I just spent a lot uh, kind of discussing the Indians and their situation and things. So. The, it started off with the news that Omar Nar- Narvez has been traded to the Brewers. Now, on this very podcast, I predicted he would be traded to the Brewers um, because the Brewers are operating partially. What it reminds me very much of, honestly, is if you go back and you read Moneyball and you read about um, the Oakland A's at the time and how they just kind of pitch defense aside, and they're like, yeah, defense doesn't matter as much as offense. Offense is where we'll, we'll win. And that's what the Brewers have done. That's like, you know, when you put Mike Moustakis at second base, uh, when you do some of the other maneuvers they've done, that that is how, that is what they're doing. So when I, like I said, I, from the beginning, I was very much drawn to the fact that, like, this is a team that just defense be darned. Uh, the Reds are doing the same thing. But I was like, okay, so Narvez is going to end up in Cincinnati or Milwaukee because those are two teams that are just we don't care if the defense is bad. We just, we want someone who can be productive. And 
what I found really fascinating in this deal is for the second year in a row, the Brewers trade away their comp- uh, their competitive balance pick. And for the second year in a row, the Seattle Mariners acquire a competitive balance pick. Omar Navarez, you get uh, uh, three more years of control for a guy who had a, you know, arguably one of the best offensive seasons of a catcher in all of baseball last year. Um, we've talked about the fact he is not a good defender. He is a really bad defender. But, I mean, he could end up hitting third for the Brewers, and that wouldn't be, you know, like in an ideal lineup where you have Yelich two, in my ideal lineup where Yelich should be two, at least, uh, he could be hitting very high in the lineup. And essentially, um, all the Brewers gave up here, the competitive balance pick is essentially a third-round pick. It's going to be in the 70s if you look at it just purely mathematically, you know, first 30 picks or first round, next 30 picks or more the second round. Uh, this is in the 70s. It's like almost like a mid-third in equivalency. It's still a day-two pick. They'll still get to make it before the end of day-two. But they essentially traded this third-round pick for and Adam Hill uh, for a excellent offensive catcher. Uh, you know, again, that's really what it comes down to. I think if he wasn't a catcher, if he was just a first baseman or DH, he's worth that just in terms of what we've seen in terms of offensive production and team control. The uh, the prospect they traded, Adam Hill, he was one of those guys, he came out like gangbusters in his junior year at South Carolina, was just striking guys out left and right, and then really faded as that year went on, ended up being a day two pick of the Mets. The Mets traded him to the uh, the Brewers for Broxton, as they were trying to find someone to fill that center field hole, and uh, that didn't work out for them. And Hill didn't really have a great year, and here we are, it's his second season in the minors, this is an ACC pitcher, a Friday night starter. He still hasn't made the double-A. That's troubling. Um, I don't know why teams were not more aggressive with him, but but a college pitcher from the programs that he has come through, he's actually behind in developmental curve. He pitched old for the level almost the entire year. He was an older arm to begin with in terms of guys from his class. He he has reliever ceiling, but he's reliever ceiling. Uh, A lot of guys at this point still have some back end. I, I don't see that. He's he's behind where he should be developmentally. He is struggling with control, and he's not missing enough bats. Uh, and when you are in the 20s to 30s in the Brewer system, when he gets to Seattle, he's probably not going to make their top 35 to 40. Like, that Milwaukee system is not strong and does not have a lot of good depth in it. So he's he's almost a non-factor to me. Um, maybe the, the Mariners really liked him out of college, though, and think they can... Uh, get more out of him, but the the main piece here is that competitive balance piece. Last year, the Mariners got a competitive balance piece in the Carlos Santana Indians deal, um, and the year before, the Brewers. You know, I mentioned they had traded away their pick last year. They had a first round pick, um, you know, technically more in that second, but it was a pick in the thirties, and they traded that pick to the Texas Rangers for Alex Claudio, who we mentioned that uh, they released him after one year. So they turned a first round pick into one year of okay production for a reliever, and then let him go. They're they clearly don't have a lot of uh, high valuation on these competitive balance picks. And, I mean, the draft history has not been great, so maybe they just don't have a lot of faith in that. But uh, in this case, if that's the cause, co- I mean, I, I don't think anyone can argue that they made a bad move here. I, they don't even have a first baseman right now, technically. Maybe they could have him play some first base at points. Manny Pena is a, a solid backup, occasional guy. Um there's points where maybe he starts even against um, 
righties and or maybe they form a platoon at catcher but occasionally uh narvez plays first base like i said the the brewers don't have a first baseman so it, it's it's probably going to be ryan braun but then if you put ryan braun at first you currently don't have an outfielder because you traded gresham away so the, it's a team with a lot of holes and it's it's interesting from that perspective this is the first thing uh for seattle i, I just thought it was a late return it's a it's i talk about liking teams trying to go out there and add more picks if they keep adding picks, I'll like it a little bit more. Um, but picks are always a low-value investment um, compared to a player, who is especially one who's made it to the, the upper uh, minors. It's it's not as good. Uh, there's a lot more risk. And they got, uh, a, again, a prospect who's, I don't think, going to be a top 30 guy for them and a pick that is a third-round pick for a player who has three years of control and I think I, I when I looked it up before it would have been like the third best bat on the Cleveland Indians a year ago so let's move on um so much to talk about another trade after the Mets uh, struck out last year with Broxton as a center fielder they still needed a center fielder so what do they do today they traded away basically nothing to get Jake uh Marsnick from Houston for Houston it's basically about saving the three million dollars they get two guys, neither of which are all that exciting. And Marzenick's a good defender. He can play center field. He's going to be about $3 million, which is he's cheap, which is what the Mets want. Offensively, he's not good. He had one season where he was, you know, close to average. Um, since then, he's been about two der- standard derivations below. Um, he's not a good offensive player. He cannot make contact. He's going to be hitting the eighth for the Mets. He'll give you above average defense i don't know if i really want to say plus defense i would say above average defense and you know he's got some speed but other than that it just he doesn't walk he doesn't uh, hit for average he doesn't hit for power and he strikes out at a decent clip for a guy with as little power as he has so probably an upgrade for them but if they're going out you know it, and it kind of changes the need for a center fielder but I still think someone like uh, when I mentioned Bradley Zimmer to them before, that certainly would give them a higher ceiling with a similar defensive profile. So let's talk about a pitcher came off the market. Michael Pineda re-signing with the Twins for two years, $20 million. Uh, He was worth 2.4 B-War this year. He was kind of definition of when he, definition when he was um, not being suspended for drug use of a solid four um home run rate was a little high but he's always been really good dating back to his uh his debut with the the mariners at age 22 of controlling his walk rate control has always been probably one of his best uh strong suits and his strikeout rate's always been above eight the home run rate has been the issue but now we're seeing other guys home run rate rises uh rise on the whole 4.02 whip like he was a solid starter he was probably in that next tier between like Wade Miley and Tanner Rourke, Pineda was the best of that group. Um, there was a lot of value, and two years, $20 million, uh, $10 million a year, I think is a good deal by the Twins. Uh, I'm kind of surprised Pineda jumped at that, just because he could have been in line to get someone's money when other teams struck out. But uh, at the same time, you know, his last deal with the Twins was uh, was two years, $10 million. So he essentially doubled that and got two years, $20 million. And for the Twins, I get it. Now they have three starters. They still need to go out and add two more. But they, they needed to do this. So the Twins, it's a slam dunk. I mean, $10 million a year for a starter, for a guy who's like a four, possibly a three, who 
I mean, he is... He'll be 31 in January. He's in that same age group as, you know, Wheeler, Bumgarner, and, um, uh, you know, the, those guys are all about the same age. So, again, $10 million a year is not a bad price for an arm like that. So it was a, a nice kick by the Twins. Uh, Max Morhoff, lots of games with the Indians this year where he was really bad, and he will not be with the Indians anymore. He is uh, joining the Mets on a minor league deal. Justin Grimm spent some time in the Indians minors. Uh, you know, there were some points where Grimm was amazing with the White Sox and just completely fell apart. He bounced around to a, through three different minor league systems a year ago, including the Indians. Indians couldn't fix him. He is now moving on to the Brewers on a minor league contract. Uh, I can't blame anyone who goes to the Brewers on a minor league contract because they have just huge depth issues. So uh, it's your best shot to the majors. <sighs> Running low on time again, but let's get the Angels in. Let's talk about some some Mike Trout and uh, friends. Mike Trout is Superman, so that gives the, the Angels a major advantage. They have Joe Adele, one of the best prospects in baseball. They have a, as I mentioned on yesterday's show, weird depth. Uh, if you go over to Roster Resources, who was picked up by Fangraphs in one of the better free agency editions of the 2019 season, because Roster Resources is fantastic, uh, they it's an interesting lineup. They currently have, and I understand what they're doing here, Tommy Lestella at first, with Cosart at third, Fletcher at second, and uh, Max Stasi is kind of currently set up as their catcher. Uh, Stasi has some some positive things, mostly defensively. Um, I'll be curious to see if they, because again, they're a team that really needs catching depth and really doesn't have an avenue to do it. Um, with Narvez out, you've got Wellington, Castillo, maybe James McCann with the White Sox, and free agent wise, you've got uh, Austin Romine, Maldonado, and Robinson Chirinos is still out there. Maybe he's the guy that the Angels. Uh, end up chasing but we'll 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 have to wait and see this team on the whole like offensively that's a it's they're an interesting team um i i don't know what they're gonna do in terms of some of these guys you know the the bench on here has albert pool holes at some point joe adele is gonna have to get a shot in the majors the rotation um andrew haney is never really turned into what we thought when he was a pretty high pick a top you know one of the top 10 picks in the draft Dylan Bundy so much potential um just never came together uh Canning looks like a guy on the cusp uh, Sandoval's probably best as a reliever Borea's one of those Bora he's between a quad a guy and a useful fifth starter and uh Otani I had concerns about him as a pitcher when he came over um then, then he got hurt. He hasn't. We'll have to see if he can hold up. Uh, Ty Buttrey as a reliever was really good in the first half, and not so good in the second half. Hanson Robles was excellent all year. We'll see how uh, how he does in, in year two. But yeah, so you you kind of go through this team, and in an ideal world, pretty much if you're looking for a deal between the Indians and the Angels, it would probably be something like Plesak or Pletko being flipped there. So let's take that idea and see if maybe one of the the depth pieces with the Los Angeles Angels could be considered a movable asset. So when I head over to uh, Baseball Trade Values, the, the main guy that makes sense for the Indians to try to go get is Tommy Listella. Currently projected on roster resources is a platoon guy playing first base. He's played second base. And he struggled with injuries a year ago, though. Before his injury, he looked like an all-star. Had some changes to his swing, some uh, 
those type of things that the Indians value. Someone who kind of took things apart, figured out how to get better. I was kind of surprised to see they value him at 11 total points, especially because he's a one-year guy. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year, and he is entering his... He'll be 31 in uh, January, so I'm I'm kind of shocked. I feel like that 11.4 value is more like in uh, in June, like before his injury when he was just killing the ball um, in the first half and had more in a year of control. Only played 80 games. Uh, that would actually give him a higher valuation than like Zach Plesak, who would have been someone I would have put on the other end of the deal, and I would have expected more than Listella for Plesak, I'll be honest. So using the trade simulator, there isn't exactly a great trade. Um, but I think if the Indians and Angels were to figure something out, um, it, Tommy Listella is the name to watch, just because when you look at the, the bench projection for the, the Los Angeles Angels, Paul Hulse is there, but I don't know if they're going to honestly put him in a platoon. Ren Giffo was a young kid who got an opportunity. And, I mean, a lot of people still like the ceiling there. I'm still a fan. Um, when a 20-year-old kid is an average bat, that's a, that's a good sign. And you got Joe Adele just breathing down their necks. So, at some point, maybe even mid-season, if they, did, if they are uh, going to let Cosart play on the infield as a starter and reduce Listella to more of a first-base-only guy. Um, he's certainly going to be the name to watch. He's the guy to watch on this team. He's the one I'd like to add. So, yeah, that's the takeaway, just because their overall team, it's weird depth, as I said, where the only reason they really have depth is because they have overpriced veterans who aren't good, who they might be forced to play. If they didn't have those guys at all, then Listella would definitely be on the infield with Fletcher at third base in these projections. And first base would be kind of a what-do-they-do position. Well, they can do whatever they want then because first base is kind of just fill it in and figure it out later. They are a little bit handicapped by the fact that they have to have Otani play DH. It means they have to have um, a legitimate first baseman. It's not one of those situations like where the Indians went and got Fran Mo Reyes, and he can play DH or he could play outfield. Otani is their DH. That's it. He was good there. He is solid there, but he is their DH, and he really, you can't, risk putting him anywhere else right now so that's the angels and the indians um probably nothing going to happen but tommy listella just repeat his name for the third time i talked about him often in season interesting guy interesting situation interesting team again i'm rooting for the angels to win the west because mike trout uh is good for baseball and baseball needs all the help we can get in terms of its marketing war i want to thank everyone for listening for this week again as well Um, being back to the normal schedule after the holidays. We will continue in up until the next holiday break, and then we'll have another little hiatus. So thank you for listening, and as always, go Tribe!